Third annual triangle trip completed. November 2023. Dear friends and family, this article as of October 30th. Kim and I presently are on our third annual triangle trip. I call it that because in essence we basically travel a path that is a huge 2,500 mile plus triangle. We go from Delaware to Alabama to Ohio, then back to home to Delaware. Each of the past three Octobers, including last month's, we have followed the exact same game plan. We take two days to get to Alabama, stay five full days with our daughter Laura and family, and then from there we take two days to drive to Cleveland, Ohio, where our oldest son Matthew and family reside. Again, we stay five full days there, then head home to Delaware in one day. And yet another boot camp to boot. A major event that has determined our calendar schedule for our triangle trip is that of Converge Church's annual boot camp, Youth Retreat. I was humbled, privileged, and yes, once again surprised in a way that they asked me back to minister. How so, Michael? Well, it's a very common practice for churches to have different speakers each year to annual events that they host. This is certainly the case with youth ministry. And yet our Lord has given me such blessing and favor with Converge Church and their youth that I have been invited back several times through the years. Below is some feedback I received after I got home from this three-day event. Quote, Hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much because boot camp was so fun and I had a really good time. I'm just sad I have to wait a whole year again to have it again. This is Luke, a youth who was there. Quote, To add to Luke's message, there were two parents at men's group tonight who said their kids had life-changing experiences this weekend. They came home talking about God like never before. All glory to God and thanks all for being vessels for him, unquote. This was from Skyler, one of the youth retreat leaders and the children's pastor of Converge. Quote, especially in the chapels, we heard more about them so far than our big game, Freedom Village. Unquote. Goes for you too, birthday boy. This text was sent to me on my birthday the day after the retreat. Unquote. Ezio, a youth retreat leader. Until you understand the wrath of God in history, you cannot understand the love of God at Calvary. Why are these comments so special to me? Well, the youth and staff had sat under my numerous and various teachings about the wrath of God. I covered outbursts of the wrath of God in the Old Testament, which entailed the global flood of Noah, where the Lord took personal responsibility for drowning millions, perhaps billions of people, including teenagers and children, Genesis 6 and 7. I then proceeded to Genesis 18 and 19, where the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate state appeared in human form to Abraham. In 1924, uh, the sacred text states, Then the Lord, and this was Jesus on earth, rained down brimstone and fire from heaven from the Lord, God the Father in heaven, upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Second Peter 2.6 says that he reduced them to ashes. From there I took the retreaters to Exodus 9.23 and following, where the Lord rained down hail mixed with fire. The word declares that the fire ran along the ground and also the fire took hold of itself. Everyone and everything that was out in the fields perished. From there I covered the Passover in Exodus 11:4 and 12:29. These are some of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. Quote, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Unquote. And we all know the firstborn of both men and beasts perished that night, except those whose doorposts and lintels were covered in animal blood. 
On and on I went with the youth and their leaders, hoping to immerse them deeply into the dreadful severity of God that they might more appreciate his tender mercies. If you don't, one's love for God will be shallow, flippant, take it for granted, etc., even irreverent. In number 16, the Lord had the earth open its mouth and swallow whole the families of Dathan and Abiram, including their little ones. In that same chapter, fire from the Lord burst forth, most likely from the tabernacle given the context, and consumed the 250 rebels who followed Korah. In chapter 21 of that same book, the Lord sent fiery serpents, perhaps flying snakes called Hydri, whose venom was so lethal one ancient historian wrote that the victim died before they felt the pain of the bite. And again the Lord sent them upon his people. In 2 Samuel 24:24, the Lord sent a destroying angel to strike down 70,000 Israelites due to the anger David incurred from God for numbering Israel's fighting men. Examples of God's fierce wrath are abundant in the scriptures from Genesis 3, remember there was no sin in Genesis 1 and 2, to Revelation 22. From death to life. My retreat host informed me before boot camp that the theme this year would be from death to life based on Ephesians 2, 1, and 10, 1 through 10. Hence, after recounting several instances of God, inf- God inflicting death upon innumerable number of people in the Bible, I would then point out and highlight in each case where the Lord at the same time provided a way of escape. For Adam and Eve, it was the animal skin covering. For antediluvian populace, it was the Ark of Noah. For refuge from the downpour of hail and fire, it was either one's house or the land of Goshen where the Israelites dwell. To escape the angel of death at the Exodus, it was the blood of a lamb or a goat. To avoid being swallowed up alive into Sheol with Dathan and Abiram and their followers, your only hope was to get away from them and touch nothing that belonged to them. For those bitten by deadly fiery serpents, it was gazing at the brass serpent lifted high on a pole, see John 3.15, that the Lord instructed Moses to make. For the plague brought on Israel by King David, an altar was built and sacrifices offered. In each case, the Lord was under no obligation to have mercy on anyone, yet he was under obligation to himself to punish sin. This is what makes his mercy so tender and great. I'm still not satisfied. My ultimate destination in this very heavy, sobering message was Romans 3.25. Why so? Romans 3.25 is a divine powerhouse of nuclear truth. Once one gets it, it basically states that God the Father placed the Lord Jesus out in the open. He publicly displayed him. He set him forth. Where? In Jerusalem, the center of the world, in the fullness of time. For what? As a propitiation, that is, a sacrificial offering to remove, pacify, and appease his holy and just wrath. Why? The passage continues to declare that he had left the sins committed beforehand, that is, the sins from Adam and Eve's first sin, up to the sins committed at Calvary, unpunished. Huh? But but, but he drowned, burned, buried alive, etc., countless human beings. Yet, yet, given his infinite holiness, those drastic and dreadful punishments did not satisfy his just demands for his person and law being violated. He held back. He held back. From this realization, I took the retreaters to the cross of Christ. It was there, and only there, that the full measure, the full undiluted mixture of the fierce fury of the wrath of God was fully appeased and pacified. The proof of this? Jesus' solemn yet victorious utterance from the cross just before he yielded up his infinitely spotless spirit. Quote, it is finished, unquote. 
the Lord Jesus accomplished in six hours what a lost soul in the lake of fire for all of eternity could never do, satisfy the exacting, just, holy wrath of God. His presence followed his precepts. When the youth and their leaders left the meeting room, my host and I just stood there on opposite sides of the room and looked at each other. I told him that I hated to leave. I wanted just to lay on my face before the Lord for a very long period of time. He told me that he hated transitioning from our chapel time to the next event, as he too loves being immersed in the Lord's presence. The next morning I arrived at the chapel area early as I usually do to set up my object lessons for the lesson that would precede our Bible marking and quizzing session. I began to play my soft background music while doing so. I immediately sensed that the Lord's presence was still strong and sweet in the room, the same presence I had sensed the day before after our chapel. He was there. He was there again. He hadn't left. Yes, I am very aware of his omnipresence, his ubiquity. Yet I'm also very aware that he unleashes more of his Spirit's presence and location, locations where his people focus on him, as we did so intently the day and night before. Some of you... Be- Some of you may recall last month's newsletter where I recounted my time ministering over 20 years ago near Princeton Seminary. I shared that there are those who say the presence of the Lord can still be sensed in a special way in the office of Charles Hodge, Princeton's premier theologian for 56 years. Though I personally did not visit his office at that time, I have no problem believing that tale is true. I recounted his lingering presence at Elam Bible Institute, at Hemlock Hall, at Tel High Camp, Upon my and upon my 2000 Nissan Frontier ministry vehicle of 15 years, according to the mechanic who recently worked on it. And now I sense this priceless phenomenon in the basement of the chapel at Camp Halawasa in Hamilton, New Jersey. Yes, I believe it. Reverencing the Presence Speaking of the manifest presence of the Lord, I recounted last month about Kim and mine's visit to Sight and Sound Theater near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It is a spectacular sight to see and experience. Even as one pulls into the long driveway leading up to the impressively sized theater, you begin to feel excitement. Everything at sight and sound is big, majestic, and full of grandeur, etc., as it should be. If it were my venue, I would do the same. I've often said in my striving to bring realism to my time machine and camp equestrian dramas that my middle name is Epic. You walk into the Sight and Sound Theater and you're met with grandeur and spectacle. That is the only way I know how to describe it. The decor, the atmosphere, etc. bespeaks first-class quality and professionalism. It is a personal honor to me that two of my former campers, one also served as a gopher and worship leader, are on staff there. One of them happens to be Sight and Sound's sound man. He has the impressive and I'm sure stressful responsibility of overseeing several dozen microphones for the actors and the music score. When Kim and I saw Sight and Sound's production, David, he told me back then that he had seen the production 90 times by the time we had viewed it for the very first time. I envied him in a way to be lost in that biblical world full-time, immersed and secluded from the outside world and all of its wickedness and resultant depression for a Christian. Yet, there was a part of me that recoiled from the idea of working at Sight and Sound. How so? I know from personal experience, being at a Bible school for four years, having served on church staffs for 14 years, and having now produced Via Dolorosa in some form for 19 years, that being at such places for extended periods of time is both a very high privilege but also a very high peril. How so? 
The human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17:9, and it loathes all things divine. This is the case, of course, with the unregenerate hearts of pagans, but still it is also true of the residual fallen human nature, that is, the flesh, still very present in God's people. It is very, very easy for Christians who are immersed and surrounded by the things of God on a regular basis to become familiar with them, to treat them lightly, even to treat them irreverently. It happens all of the time. I see it on big church staffs. I see it often with worship teams. And it scares me to death. How so? When this attitude of irreverence is upon one of God's people, they don't realize that it is. Familiarity breeds contempt, that is, treating things lightly. It is repeatedly evidenced in the scripture, often by Levites, priests, prophets, religious leaders, and those who are constantly close to the holy things. And so it is today. This is one of the many reasons I immerse myself in the severity of God, so that I might keep that cold, wet, sobering blanket on me of the fear of the Lord. And as I said above, so that I might know and appreciate and revel in his tender mercies by doing so. I pray it will always be the case with me and you, dear reader. Kim and I wish you a blessed Thanksgiving season with a heart full of gratitude to the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits. Amen. Michael. And my quote for this month, quote, if we treat him lightly, he shows up lightly, unquote. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. The Lord bless you.